0: You can hear me now, can't you? Let's all stand, go to God in prayer. Let's pray and ask God to bless us here this morning. Here, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be in the house of God. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful love that you have toward all of us. We thank you, Jesus, for each child of God. We ask you to bless us all here this morning. Touch our hearts and lives as we look into your word. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray, amen. God bless you, shake hands with the person next to you. I know I do that, I hope it doesn't become a a broken record with you, but sometimes it's nice to uh, greet the ones next to us and smile, everybody needs a smile every day. God bless you. We're studying the book of Romans and um, we talked about the first chapter which deals with God's judgments on sin and then we're going into chapter 2. And uh, to understand chapter 2 and all of the chapters that follow uh, in the book of Romans, it's important to understand what, it, what the issues that Paul was dealing with for his day, and they are put there for our purpose and our sake here today as well. And uh, what it was was that Paul was trying to help Uh, these Romans as well as other epistles that he wrote to understand that there was a thing called the principles of salvation. Two things that Paul basically addressed in all of his epistles. One was the principles of salvation. That is how it's possible that we who are Gentiles can be saved without having to fulfill the law of Moses under the Old Testament. And Paul had a clear understanding of that. The apostles had a clear understanding of that. Not as much as Paul did. He was, he was the uh, last of the apostles. He took uh, Judas's curious place. God placed, replaced him with, uh, with Paul. And uh, Paul was, the, was the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. So whenever Gentiles would be saved, he would not require them to come under the law. Of the Old Testament to be saved. In other words, they did not have to, the males did not have to be circumcised. Uh, They did not have to keep the Sabbath day in a strict fashion and order that Israel did. I'm going to give you scriptures today to help you to understand how uh, and why that was so and what God intended for that to be for all of us today. But Paul understood that the gospel being for the whole world. Uh, was the way God had set it up, and it's when He said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel," that it was to be for all Gentiles and all places of life, and that anybody could be saved, <clears throat> and they would be saved by His Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord was the replacement of the law, and I, there's a lot of verses and scriptures on that, especially when we deal with the Sabbath day or the seventh day situation. But the, uh, the, the Holy Ghost that God sent gives us what the law tried to give them in stone. And the Lord talked about that in all of his prophecies. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you know, he said, uh, I will take out of you the heart of stone. I'll put it on you, the heart of flesh. He says, the law was written on stone, but I shall give that law to you in your hearts. So when the Lord gives the baptism of his spirit, or he gives the Holy Ghost to us in the New Testament... That Holy Spirit gives us the desire to do what the law in the Old Testament required Israel to do. Now, there was parts of the law of the Old Testament that pertained only to Israel and only to their land. It did not pertain to to just everyday living for anyone anywhere. It was specifically for them and their farming, how they were to even clothes they wore. They could only wear, they could not wear, for instance, wool and linen together. They could not wear cotton and linen together. If they wore clothes, the Jews of the Old Testament, a lot of people don't know this, but it's in the scriptures in the Old Testament, that they could not wear, uh, they could not wear two types of material at the same time. And the reason for that was that God wanted them to always remember that they were special unto Him and that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. While everybody else had many gods, uh, they themselves would always have one. They could wear you know, linen, they could wear wool, they could wear cotton, they could wear silk, but they could not wear those things mixed together and, and so forth. There was a lot of a little laws like that. Well, the Lord did not try to bring this into the, to the Gentiles because by his spirit, he achieved it. Whenever the Holy Ghost comes, it teaches us, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, our God. It's not hear, Israel, it's here, O church, or hear, people of, of my people who are called by my name and so forth in the New Testament. And so I'm just rephrasing that to let you know it was for us. So when Paul started writing his epistles to these churches, there were some epistles specifically, and there's three of them in, in general that I think of, and I'm, I'm sort of recapping what I talked to you about two weeks ago. Uh, one of them was it's the book of Romans. The other is the book of Galatians. The other is the book of Ephesians, where he talks about how that we are uh, we are saved, and God has given us the Spirit of the Lord, and therefore we do not have to go back and keep the law, because it was these groups of people that other Jews who had gotten saved and had become Christians, it was they, those Jews who came around to them and said, you've got to keep the law. You've got to go back and try to keep all the law and do everything the law says, and you've got to come through the law to be saved. And Paul says, no, no, no. By the spirit, do we fulfill the law? And so Paul talks about that. That was called the principles of salvation. And he taught that the other issue that he talked a lot about was simply Christian living how to live for God, how to please God, how to worship the Lord, how to serve the Lord, how to walk with God. And this is what we find in many of the other epistles, like, for instance, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is, is like this. Uh, there's, uh, I think, in Philippians is like this. Uh, and I, uh, offhand, I can't think of all of them. First, uh, 2 Thessalonians is like that, and so forth. But these epistles were epistles that were mostly directed toward just living a good Christian life praise God, and uh, they would tell you how to live, he taught them how to live for the Lord. Now, I want to go a little bit further here in this area where Paul addressed this issue about, uh, about the principles of salvation. Uh, I want you to look with me again, I'm just going to touch base very quickly with some of these verses. If you look with me in Galatians, for instance, when Paul started his missionary work and he he went to Jerusalem in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And we talked about it two weeks ago, and I won't go into detail on it. But when Paul and Barnabas went from Antioch, which is up in Lebanon, and he went down into Palestine to Jerusalem, he went to those those apostles, all the apostles there, and all the leaders of the early church. And the early church at that time had about 25,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. It was a the church had just grown tremendously. And uh, when they went they didn't have a building either. They, they worshipped in homes and groups and things like this. And when they went down to meet with these elders, they told them what was happening among the Gentiles. They said, you would not believe it. We are preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are getting saved. They are being baptized in Jesus' name. They are speaking in other tongues. They, God is, is, is honoring our ministry with miracles. He started giving all that to them because they had already been on what was called Paul's first missionary journey. And so here it was. It was all happening. And when they told them that, and they said that, uh, we just want to just let you know what's happening. So the apostles all said, let's talk about this because there were some Jews who said, I don't care whether they were speaking in tongues. I don't care whether they had the baptism in Jesus' name. I don't care anything. We want to make sure that they go through the process of being Jews, you know, circumcision, keeping the law, eating the right kind of meats, keeping the holy days, blah, 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 blah. And they said, we want to make sure Then they were the sort of the Pharisees among that early Christian church. So these apostles, apostles all got together they had a meeting, and when they got through, and I won't go into detail on this, but it's in the 15th chapter. The whole 15th chapter of Acts spells it all out. Both James, who was the brother of Jesus, he was the son of Mary and, and, and Joseph. Mary and Mary. Jesus was not Joseph's son, but he was the son of God. But Mary was his mother, you know that. So and after Jesus, uh, they were, these other sons were born. There was four sons and two daughters, at least two daughters. And uh, we know at least two, it may have been more daughters than that. But anyhow, they had at least six children, Mary and Joseph. So Mary did not continue to be a virgin. How many of you understand that? Because the Catholic church said that she was a virgin right on the rest of her life, but that's not true. And, uh, but anyhow, uh, this James was the half brother of Jesus in that fashion and he was a very intelligent man, very smart man. It's amazing to understand too, that if anybody was the rightful, uh, heir to the throne of David, it would be him because both Joseph and Mary were direct descendants of David, King David. And so that this James would have been a rightful heir in both, in both sides of his family. Jesus, of course, was the king of kings. And uh, so whenever they had this discussion, James says, I think we have to understand that God has given these Gentiles what we all have strived to have and want. Peter also spoke. Peter says, I went to Cornelius' house. He was Gentiles. Preached to him. The Holy Ghost fell. They spoke with other tongues. They received the Holy Ghost just like we did on the day of Pentecost. And he says, I think we ought to just leave the Gentiles. So they made that decision just to leave them alone and let them them serve God and worship God. Paul, you preached to them how they should live, how they should act so forth says so stay away from fornication don't eat anything strangled or uh, don't drink take the blood of animals and so forth all of that and so they they sent them on their way and so these gentiles these jews though that had a problem with that they would sneak out and they'd go up into these gentile churches and they would say oh no 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 you've got to do this and you've got to do that paul hasn't he hasn't informed you well Galatians were one of them. I'm reading here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, and I read this to you two weeks ago, and I'll read it again. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of God into another, gospel, into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He's talking about those Jews who are requiring Gentiles to fulfill the law to be saved. And go back in the Old Testament law. Then in verse 8, <clears throat> uh, but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have, we have preached unto you, if anybody else preaches anything else to you, let him be accursed. And then he repeats that statement in the ninth verse. Uh, and we say before, so say I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, excuse me, <coughs> than that unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. All right, So Paul is affirming and stating that very emphatically. Look at chapter 2 here in Galatians in 4. Look at two four. Uh, in my Bible, it's right across the page. It says, and that because of false brethren, he calls these men false brethren who came up among those Gentiles now. They're brothers in Christ, but they are trying to lead them off into a different direction than what the gospel has prescribed and then what Paul preached unto them. Now, if you want to know what Paul preached, just go to, and I won't have you do that right now, but any of you can do that anytime. Go to Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5 and 6, and it'll tell you what he preached. He found five disciples of John the Baptist who had been baptized under John, which was under repentance. And he said, uh, you know, how have you been baptized? They said, under John's has been They said, have you, uh, you know, John preached about Jesus. He said, we, we haven't heard about Jesus. We don't know. So, so Paul preached unto them Jesus Christ, and then whenever they believed, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul laid hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. That was Paul's gospel. And that was the Ephesian church. That was the beginning of one of the great churches of that new, that new era of time, that, that early church time. So that was the, Ephes- the Ephesian church. Now I'm reading here in two four, uh, He says here, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in... Who came in private to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they may bring us into bondage. So he called them false brethren because they want to bring you back into the law and try to you know, bring you into those kind of things. Uh, another verse of scripture that, I, while we're in Galatians there is found over in, in Galatians 4.9. And here's where he talks about the days and I'll get more into this in a few moments. But in 4.9, he says, but now after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements wherewith you desire again to be in bondage. You want to go back and be, be under the law and live under the law of the Old Testament, having to do this, offer sacrifices. And I guess they knew they were not to offer sacrifices. Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. But all the other things they were, they were supposed to have to keep. Verse 10, he says, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I be stood upon you labor in vain. He's telling these Galatians, now you're going back trying to keep the Sabbath. You're trying to keep, you know, uh, the day of atonement. You're trying to keep, you know, all of these feast days and so forth, uh, according to the law and according to the Jewish, you know, history. And so he sort of, uh, you know, told them that. Over in Galatians chapter 5, he goes a little bit further here, and I'm reading verse Uh, uh, Verse 1, to start with, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And uh, then he says over in verse 16 and 17, This I say, walk in the Spirit, and this is the key to it all, folks. This is the key to it. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Did you understand that? You've got your Bible, underline that in your Bible. If you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. And he's telling these Galatians, you don't have to go back and keep the law because you have the Holy Ghost inside of you. I'll give you some other scriptures in a moment here on that. So you have the Holy Spirit. This is why the Holy Ghost is so important. Because it's God putting his word in us. It'll make you do what the word of God in the Old Testament required the Jews to do. And they could not fulfill it all. But the spirit of God gives us the desire to do it. You know, you get saved and you love people. You know, is not right. I know, I know there's some, there's some, there's some cantankerous ones all around. You know, they're out there, you know. But, you know, God gives you love for everybody. Amen. And some people live on the verge of hating everybody, and they get saved. God just changes them all around. I've seen miracles like this. Not maybe somebody getting out of a wheelchair and that God has done that. I've I've seen that happen. I prayed for a woman that was paralyzed, and she got out of a wheelchair. I know what that's all about. And so I know all of these things can happen, but I'm talking about what he does in that mind and heart Somebody that just hates everybody. I told you about this guy that got saved that I was when I got about the same time I got saved, and uh, he had he was had been in the penitentiary a long time, and he was looking for a guy who was going to kill him. He's going to kill him. said, so when I find him, I'm going to kill him. He got saved, got feel with the Holy Ghost, and I was with the fella. I was with him. We went into a restaurant to eat dinner because we'd both gotten saved the same night in a revival, and so we went in there, and, and he saw the guy sitting up there on the counter. in this restaurant and we so he left me at the table He said, excuse me a minute and he walked up there and and he tapped the guy on the shoulder and the guy turned around and turned white as a sheet I thought the guy I didn't know what it happened I mean the guy just turned white and he said "Uh oh my number is up and this guy's come to kill me and he said I want this guy said to him I want you to know he said that I have gotten saved I've gotten baptized in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost and he said God has changed my life and I don't have nothing but love in my heart I have nothing against you. Don't ever worry about me. Just go in peace. Now he didn't hug the guy's neck, or he didn't shake hands with him, or nothing. He just said, "Don't ever worry about me," uh, and everything, and everything. And so he turned around and came back and sat down with me, and everything. A few minutes, I saw the guy slip away from his his, his his counter and slip on out. He thought, "Well, thank God, this guy got saved." But that's what the Spirit of God does, isn't it? God changes us. You know the old saying, "It'll it'll cause you to love your mother-in-law." Well. God bless our mother-in-laws. Mother, there's a lot of good mother-in-laws, praise the Lord. There's a lot of good mother-in-laws, amen, without, even without that. But, but the Spirit of God will do much for us. So the Lord says here, uh, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he says, but if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. One other scripture here, also in that fifth chapter of Galatians, but the, Spirit of the, but the fruit of the Spirit is, here's the fruit of the Spirit, That is the results of having the spirit in you is love, joy, peace, long suffering. That is putting up with a lot of things, uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Do you understand what we're saying here? So if you have the spirit of God, there is no law against it. You don't need the law of God of the Old Testament because the law is put in our hearts and there is no law in the land and the world that's against these things that he lists here. Is there, is there any government in the world that has laws that you can't be nice to people? Is there any law that says that you cannot keep peace? Is there any law that says you can't be joyful? You know, all of these, praise the Lord, there's no law against being what it says that it is. So we are sort of pointing these things out here to you here today so that you understand here. That this is what Paul was addressing uh, in his to to that to those churches and everything. Uh, he he also uh, addressed specific subjects, specific subjects, and I dealt just very quickly with this last week, and uh, that is of course the subjects of uh, of, uh, of meats and so forth. And uh, <clears throat> let me. Uh, let me have you look with us and uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 for a minute. He dealt the subject here with meats and holy days. And uh, if you go to, to uh, 1 Timothy four 1, 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter de- times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then he goes on to say, forbidding to marry. This is where that celibacy came in way back there, crept into the Christian church and was adopted by, uh, I think, the, the the Catholic church adopted that for their priesthood, and it was not in the original scriptures. And then it goes on to say, commanding to abstain from meats, commanding to abstain from meats, that's wrong, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving for every creature, or giving, giving, thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Look at verse four, for every creature of God is good. Now, this is New Testament teaching. You understand that? For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. That's why we pray before we eat. You pray for your food not just that it doesn't have germs on it or anything like that, but also that God would sanctify it so that it is worthwhile and says every creature of God is good. And nothing to be refused, it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Praise the Lord. So always pray for your food, you sanctify it, and say, God sanctify our food here before us today. And then what it is, if it's a lobster, enjoy it, praise the Lord. If it's uh, escargot, that's snails, you know. Enjoy it, praise the Lord. If you like escargot, Uh, whatever. If you like, uh, what's, what's another, catfish? Yeah, just enjoy it, praise the Lord. Under the law, you see, they could not eat those things. But you can eat shrimp. Yeah, go ahead, eat your shrimp because it's sanctified. That's New Testament. You understand what we're saying? That's New Testament. Now, that the Old Testament is not destroyed. It is fulfilled in that, in that New Testament. Uh, look over in, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm looking at one here in Romans 14, uh, fourteen seventeen. I think I read this to you last week. I'll do it again. This is talking about meats. And it's talking about the kingdom of God. and That's where we are here today. I'm just saying, folks, there's so many scriptures here to give us understanding that if you walk with God and you have his spirit inside of you and you serve the Lord, that the keeping of the law is not necessary. It's not necessary. And that's why some people come along and say, oh, no, no, we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we've got to do that. We've got to do that. And that's not true. It's not true. The spirit of God will help us to do the right things. You know, we don't swear and curse and spit tobacco juice everywhere and don't chew tobacco and all that stuff, you know, smoke. You know, we keep ourselves clean. The Bible says be clean, you know, be holy and and so forth. But I'm talking about the things about going back and trying to keep the law and, you know, and obey the law and all these things. I've named some of them while I go for you. Look at the 17th verse here, 14, 17 of Romans. For the kingdom of God, and that's what you have. The Bible tells here what the kingdom of God is. It tells what it is. Not and it says what it is. <clears throat> For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And Paul is not talking about sitting down and just eating dinner here. He's talking about the keeping of the law. And this will bear, this bore out in the next few verses. But look at the 17th verse. For the kingdom of God, and this is what Jesus came preaching. Behold, the kingdom of God has come unto you. That's what John the Baptist came preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is the coming of the spirit of God and the Lord establishing his people, his church, upon the earth. That's the kingdom of God. And that was prophesied in Daniel way back over in Daniel chapters, uh, uh, several chapters, 2 and 7 and 9. Look at this 17th verse. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You see that? That's the kingdom of God. And you have that. And when you have that spirit in you, and he's saying the same thing here in Romans as we read to you over there in Galatians, you know. Now, look what he says in the 18th verse. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men because men are not against somebody who's trying to live right. Praise God. Isn't that right? And as it says in one scripture we just read to you, there is no law against that that is the fruit of the spirit. And so that was in Galatians chapter 5 we just read. Now, verse 19 here in Romans 14:19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Look at the 20th verse. For meat destroy not the work of God. Amen. So it's not saying, oh, well, you got to eat this. You can't eat pork. No, 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 you, you can't eat you know, some of the foods I just named while I go. You can't do that and so forth. And so people you know say that. Now, let me show you something else about eating of meats and things. I want you to go over to Genesis with me. Go to Genesis with me, chapter nine. This is when Noah came out of the ark. Now, a lot of people don't know this. I'm gonna share some with you. And I wish I had more time to go into it It's a study within itself. Before the flood, man only was a vegetarian. Did you know that? Men did not eat meat before, the, before. They did not eat meat before that. In fact, that first chapter of Genesis says, God says, I've given you the herbs, all the herbs and the fruit of the trees for your food. That should be meat for you. And also, he gave the same thing to animals. Animals were only vegetarians. Vegetarians. Hold your place there in Genesis 9. Go to Genesis 1 for a moment. I guess I need to really make this clear. Because some of you are saying, I don't know where he's going with this. Let me show you this. And and a lot of, this is is not a subject that's talked about very much. Or known very much. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Um, That's not the words I'm looking for. Okay, verse 29 is the one I want. Thank you, brethren, up there for, for laboring with us in these visuals on the screen. Look at verse 29. God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. Everybody see that? Now look at the 30th verse. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, have I, have, uh, therein is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. You see what I'm saying? Every bird, every creeping thing, every fish I mean not fish, but every animal they all ate just herbs. Now when you go to the book of of Genesis chapter 9, this is after the flood, right after the flood and Noah and his family comes out, they build an an altar unto the Lord make a sacrifice unto God and this is what the Lord says to them in 9 3, every moving thing living shall be meat for you Notice that. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. This was a change. This was a change. But flesh with the life therein, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So the Lord told all the human race, which was Noah and his three sons and their wives. There's eight of them all together when they came out. And those three sons are the fathers of all of the human race all over the world So these three sons, when they came out, they could eat anything that they wanted to eat that was meat or vegetables, either way, either way. And then the Lord went on to say about the animals that the animals shall he put in them the fear of man so they would run and their nature was also changed. You know that story about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den? You know, Daniel thrown in the lion's den and the the lions didn't eat him and everything. All that happened, I think, this is my belief, that God just changed their nature back to the way it was before the flood. And the way it will be in the thousand years of peace. There's a millennium coming, you know, on the earth. A thousand years of peace. When the Lord comes back after the falling arm again. There's a millennium coming on the earth. And the Bible talks about Satan should be bound a thousand years. And the wolf and the lamb will lay down together, snuggle up together, like cats or a cat and a dog does, maybe if you've got pets like that, or, or kittens or whatever. And it talks about the, the lion, you know, will lay down with the, with the ox. I mean, they, they, they won't eat them because there's no desire. It says the lion will eat straw like an ox. So I'm just trying to tell you here that this is the way it will be in the thousand years of peace. This is the way it was before the flood. But at the flood, the Lord said now to mankind, you can eat any kind of meat you want to eat. And that never changed until Moses came out of, the, out of Egypt and he brought the children of Israel through. And the Lord says, now here are the meats that I want you to keep. Here's what you, I want you to do. And here's how I want you to do it. Because this is for you and for your people. Praise God. Now, uh, it's important to understand here that God gave the Jews some very specific instructions that was not for us today. I'm going to put this uh, on the overhead here. This is one that pertains not so much to the meat factor, but to the uh, to the The day factor, because the days are mentioned. Also, Uh, he mentioned about meats. Also mentioned about the days, keeping the days, and so forth. And uh, here's something I want you to understand. Here, this is, I think, I think you can see this. And I believe it'll give me a minute for it to come up clear. Understanding the Sabbath. Uh, Before I read this. Why don't you go with me to uh, uh, let's go to Colossians 2. Let's go to Colossians 2 and verse 16. Colossians 2, 16. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Lord. Are we having fun yet? Is that what the kids say? (laughs) Praise God. Oh, All right. Look at 2.16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come but the body is of Christ, all right? This is a verse we haven't read yet here. So what I'm, he, he names both the meats and the holy days here so that we understand here and yet somebody will say, uh, Brother Myers, wait a minute, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment is, uh, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You know, and they, they point that out. That's, that's found in Exodus chapter 20. Also in the Ten Commandments are found there. And also the Ten Commandments are found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But it says there, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The word Sabbath means rest, to rest. But to Israel, to Israel He made the seventh day to be their Sabbath or their day of rest. He made Israel to be, he made the Sabbath, the seventh day to be their Sabbath or the day of rest. The word, the word Sabbath means simply means rest. And so I'm going to give you some verses of scripture here that pertain to Israel in particular here. And uh, number one here, I I wish, I don't, I know you can't see that too clearly. I'm going to read it to you. The word Sabbath means rest, number one here. Number two, in the Old Testament, under Moses' law, the Sabbath was held on the seventh day as the day of rest. We just made that statement. Let me push it up here a little bit. I wish I could get this a little brighter for you. I'm sorry. Uh, This commandment of keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day was for Israel only, and this is important to understand. I want you to look in Exodus thirty-one thirteen. Look in Exodus 30, thirty-one thirteen, if you'll turn to that particular passage of Scripture. And Exodus is that book written about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. I'm going to read verse twelve here to just tie it together. Thirty-one twelve, and then go into thirteen. Read that. What's with this miracle? And God and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 13, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Now look down in verse 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant, which is that old, the word testament is covenant. So when they say Old Testament, it means old covenant. They say New Testament is a new covenant. So this is referring to the old covenant for a perpetual covenant. And verse 17, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Everybody getting the picture here? This was a thing given to Israel specifically. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed, and so forth. So here is some scripture here in Exodus letting us know here. I think this is uh, the verse of scripture that we're referring to. Exodus 28 says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Ezekiel 20 and 12 is where the Lord was speaking to Israel about the Jewish failure to live for God. In other words, the the Jews failed to live for God. Let me have you go there for a second. This is Ezekiel 20 and verse, uh, in verse 20 it says this. I'm going to read verse one, rather. Chapter 20 and verse one of Ezekiel. God bless those people up there. They keep up with me on this stuff. I don't know how they do it sometimes. And it came to pass in the seventh year in the fifth month, the 20th day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Now, this is Ezekiel talking. Whenever the elders of Israel came and sat down and they said, we've got to understand some things. And then the Lord spoke uh, unto them. So the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, verse 2. And uh, then verse 5 says, And say unto them, thus saith the Lord. And here's what the Lord, he began to tell these Jews about certain things why they missed out with God, how they failed the Lord, and how they got into trouble that they did with God. And then finally over here in verse 10 of 20, chapter 20, it says, Wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. He's rehearsing now what happened. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them. Everybody see that? It was between them, between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. And so the Lord knew whenever the gospel went worldwide, and he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, that the Sabbath became a spiritual thing. Let me say it like this, folks. When you get the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost becomes a Sabbath in you. It's your rest. This is the rest wherewith the weary may rest. Praise the Lord. This is very important. Uh, We've got it spelled out here. This commandment to keep the Sabbath was to Israel only, verse number four here. In the New Testament, the early church observed the first day of the week as the Lord's Day because Christ rose from the dead on the first day. Now we've got Scripture here, and I won't go into that, but you can search this out sometime. But Jesus rose, and the Bible talks about it. it was called the Lord's Day. Acts 27, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Revelations 1, 10. It talks about the first day of the week being the Lord's day. And because it was the Lord's day, the early church observed that day as the day of worship. Look at number five. Sunday was not established by the early church as the Sabbath, that is that day of rest, but as a day of worship. We don't go to, we go, when we come to church on Sunday, Amen. It's not our day of rest so much as it is our day of worship. Praise the Lord. It's not, it's not the Sabbath to the Christian. It's a day of worship. In fact, in fact, sometimes you get through Sundays and you say, wow, you know, it's been a, been, a long, been a long day, you know. We come to church, we worship. Some of you folks really worship, too. You really worship. You know what I mean? Some of you don't. <laughs> but, but, but a lot of you worship, praise the Lord. Amen. And so you, 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 uh, you exercise, you know, exuberance and so forth for God. God bless your hearts for it and everything. That's why in this church, amen, nobody will hold you back from worshiping God. Thank God for that. And then it goes on to say here that the, uh, the, the apostles condemned the seventh day or any day to be more sacred than any other day. And this is Romans 14, 5 and 6. And these are some of the verses I just got through reading to you. They condemned us having one day higher than another. Just esteem not one day above another, and so forth. They condemned that act, that attitude and so forth. But then Paul went on to say, if a person wants to worship on the Sabbath day, it's all right with me. It doesn't matter. But if he wants to worship on another day, that's okay too. As long as the one who wants to worship on the seventh day doesn't condemn the one who wants to worship any other day. You understand what? I mean? That's where the problem comes. If I worship on the Saturday I'm saying it's wrong to worship on Sunday. No, no, that's not right. Or if I if I keep the 7th day as a Sabbath day, then every everybody else is is in error. No, not necessarily, you know. A fellow told me one time you had to, you had, you know, you always had to go to church and worship on, on Saturday. Everything. And I said I said, "I don't know. I just make things so simple sometimes." I said to him, "If I worship on Sunday and I don't on Saturday, I said, am I lost?" No, no, you're not lost. I said, then don't bother me with it. I'm, I'm happy with what i do. I'm happy with it like I am. I work on Saturday, on, on Sunday, and, and I'm happy with that. And as long as I'm not lost, I'm okay with that. Praise the Lord. All right, going here on the, on the seventh day. The apostles condemn observing the seventh day or any day more sacred than any other day. Then verse number seven here, and this is very interesting, and this is what the Sabbath really is all about. The New Testament keeping the Sabbath is fulfilled in us when we receive the Holy Ghost. And I've got Isaiah 28, 11, 12. i got Matthew 11:28, 28. Hebrews 4, 1 through 5. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. Mark 2, 27. Just to touch base with a couple of these, and I know my time getting away here. Look at Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. This is where it was spoken of. This is where the Lord spoke of what you and I have today. Look in, in Isaiah uh, twenty-eight eleven. It's easy to remember because Isaiah twenty-eight eleven. You reverse uh, the eleven in Matthew's eleven. Matthew uh, twenty-eight Isaiah twenty-eight eleven. Look at this very close eleven and twelve. For with stammering lips and another tongue, the word tongue here, of course, as you know, it's glossolalia. It's the the word. That's the Greek word for it. It Coming out of Isaiah is a different word. Uh, It's coming from the Hebrew. But anyhow, in the the New Testament, it means glossolalia. It means the language. When it says tongue, it means language. All right. It says with stammering lips and another tongue. Stammering lips means it's like a stuttering. Sometimes when people receive the Holy Ghost, uh, they'll, they'll get into a stuttering type thing. And then they'll break into speaking in another language. And it says here, verse 11, For stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Verse 12, to whom he said, This is the rest, wherewith, uh, wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. That is Israel as a nation, when it came on the day of Pentecost, as a whole, as a nation, they rejected it. But as a, just as individuals, they received it. So here's a prophecy of the coming of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, back here now. In uh, in Matthew, and this is uh, in your scriptures here, uh, Matthew 11:28. You just go, just reverse those numbers, and it's ironic, but this is what it says in Matthew 11:28. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. You shall find rest unto your souls. And then when you go into these epistles, this is what it bears out here. Like in Hebrews 4, it talks about the rest is the Holy Ghost. And it goes on to say... That if you are a child of God and you have not received that rest, it's, uh, it's unto you to receive it. Give me one minute. Go to Hebrews 4.1 for real quick. I got one minute here and I'm going to close out. You are such a good audience. Praise God. And I'm going to close. Hebrews 4.1. And this is the fulfillment of this. He says here in 4.1, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left of us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. And then he goes on to talk about this rest all the way through this fourth chapter. I'm reading the very last verse. Uh, Verse 11, I'm going to read verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall short after the same example of unbelief. Verse 16, let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, find grace, and help in the time of need. So the Lord is letting us know here that we can find this rest. Verse 5, in this place, again, if they shall enter into my rest. The Lord was saying this. This is what Paul was talking, talking about here in Hebrews. He was saying that Israel was headed through the wilderness going to that land of rest. Okay, When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you enter into a rest. And he says that that rest is entitled to anyone who wants that. Folks, I don't. let me just say this. If you're troubled in spirit, and I, I feel the Holy Ghost is saying this. If you're troubled in your heart or your spirit or you've got problems, you've got complications or you've got situations in your life, you don't know what to do. I'm gonna tell you here, Jesus can give you the answer and give you a rest. He can give you a rest and I have experienced it where I just was just full of anxiety and frustration and the spirit of the Lord would just come all over me and I would feel a complete and total rest. But it's in the Holy Ghost that you will receive it. You'll receive it in the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, seek God for that. Ask God to give it to you and he will amen he wants everybody to have that Holy Spirit in him so it's his spirit it's his spirit in us and then I'll give you it'll give you peace and rest sister Burroughs God bless you sister Burrows. if you give me permission to say this her her oldest daughter they lost her at 14 years old and sister Burroughs told me one time said brother Myers said I was so broken-hearted over it and I prayed and I said God I don't know if I can handle this or not and the Lord spoke to her heart and said I'm going to give you rest And she said, I felt the presence of God come all over me, just flooded my soul. And all of a sudden, I felt peace with God. And I said, God, I know she's in your hands. I'm okay with that. Praise the Lord. And she was, from that time on, she was okay. But she felt that. It was almost like a cocoon. Like you're in a cocoon of peace and harmony and rest. And you can only know that in the Holy Ghost. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God good? That's the rest, folks. That's the rest that he talked about. So we as a church, we have it. We don't have to keep a day of rest. We have the rest in the Holy Ghost. And we keep the first day of the week as the day of worship. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands and worship God and thank him right now. Jesus, we love you so much today. We praise you for your goodness and blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your people. Thank you, God, for those that serve you and walk with you. We believe in you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.